This special episode of Where Nobody Knows Your Name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. So John, it's the season one review. Season one review, we've made it this far. We're going to look back at all of season one in one episode. In quick, quick, quick fire rounds. For those that may have missed some of the episodes throughout, this will act as a recap of looking at our best bits, our favourite moments. And it's also going to be a good springboard as we go into season two as well. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's get started. This is Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. How would you review the season in terms of quality? Where would you... What would you say about it? I thought it was a good season, set up a lot. When we said we are going to do this podcast, yeah. I thought it was going to be very light-hearted. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, were we wrong. Yeah, there's some really big themes in this series, in probably, probably you could say, from episode, episode one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at things like episode 10, Endless Slumper, Let Me Count the Ways, episode 14, and especially The Boys in the Bar, episode 16, there's some huge topics in there, yeah. which I didn't expect. That's what we've said often, in the in a show for its first season, it hits some heavy things, and I thought it took a risk, and those risks paid off. Mm. At the end of the season, it was winning Emmys, and I think episodes like that really pushed it to that calibre. I think if it hadn't done that, um, it may have faced cancellation, it may have faced an early end, it, may, it, was, it would have been a, quite a funny show, but it would have fit into this niche culture of early 80s sitcoms. Mm. We may not have Ted Danson being the guy we know he is now. There's a lot of iconic features that are set up within this series. And you can see from the get-go, they knew the direction they wanted to take. Well, it all starts with Diane starting a job at Cheers. That's one of the defining moments of the series. Well, why don't you bring your remarkable powers to bear and enlighten me as to what my future holds? (laughs) I'm probably going to regret this. But you could work here. Now, we've talked a lot about Sam and Diane having that will-they-won't-they relationship. A lot of that is to do with Diane adjusting to social differences in Cheers compared to her old life that she had, where she was with Sumner, Sumner Sloan. It's quite different for her, and she is adjusting to that throughout the series. That goes in stark difference to Sam, whose lifestyle remains quite consistent throughout the series, mm. but perhaps his personality changes. He still has his womanising lifestyle, except at the end. Does that change? He's with Diane. We'll see whether she can change him. What are the storylines with the other characters? Yeah, and if we, if we look at Norm, he was uh, trying to impress his boss back in mm. episode 7, Friends, Romans and Accountants, and he lost his job in that episode, and there's been this subtle sort of storyline of him trying to get a job ever since. And just those small character details which flesh him out a lot more. It shows that he's in potentially quite a low point of his life. But there's it picks them back up with with highlighted moments of when Buzz was in the bar and it was loneliness is a thing best shared and they all came together to support a veteran. And that's one of the really sort of powerful things about the show is that it brings this community of people together and when Saul New comes in, these characters that we've already established lift these people's lives. I think that's certainly a part of it and that even applies to Coach. Mm. In the first episode, we can tell Coach and Sam have this close relationship. We've said before, it's almost like a father-son relationship. Mm. As the series goes on, we see certain Coach stories, mm. and he not only takes on the responsibilities of parenthood, both for his actual daughter, mm. 
but almost surrogate parenthood for the other people in the bar, mm. particularly Diane. Mm. It's seen in Someone Single, Someone Blue that Diane's father died mm. 10 years ago, but Coach acts as this new mentor for her. And I think especially in um, the last two episodes as well, She's the person who she confides in initially to yeah. say that she does like Sam. Coach has always been saying all, all the way along that they should be together. Yeah. I thought it balanced the storylines really well. Mm. Carla obviously becomes pregnant from her ex-husband. Was quite a curveball halfway through the season. It deepened her character. Mm. You know, It showed really the struggles she was having. It showed this single mother supporting a number of kids and showed why she had to be so tough for so much of her life Mm. because she's dealt with these abandonment issues. I think that was particularly interesting because going into the show, they didn't know she was pregnant. She didn't know she was pregnant. Because she wasn't at that Uh, point. She told them after they had filmed, I think it was three or four episodes, Mm. and they had written that script in and uh, James Burroughs directed around uh, her pregnancy developing until it was established in episode Father Knows Last. So it shows how, as writers, they're able to work stories with their characters and the yeah. actors that are playing them. And we've said before that Sam's character was initially going to be a football player, football player yeah. but they adapted that and they worked it out to adjust the actors that they wanted. With those storylines, as we've said before, it dealt with a lot of themes. And I've got a list of themes here. We already talked about community and mm. family. There is a class division there, which yeah. is evident from the first episode. There is mental health that mm. they were dealt with, things like endless slumper, coach's daughter, let me count the ways. There's fame and addiction, particularly evident in Sam. Homophobia. It occurred throughout the series. In even in episode two, Coach was having a conversation with yeah. Leo. And it really came to a point in The Boys in the Bar where they addressed it as a full plot point of an episode and they won awards because of that Mm. whereas I feel for me the biggest thing which was present about all the characters was self-image and self-actualization for this season Cliff wasn't a main character might be a surprise but he wasn't listed in the opening credits he was a recurring character who was in almost every episode even with Cliff the concept of self-image and being the best version of yourself was shown Mm. He was trying to be the epitome of a postal carrier. Yeah. And I assume that storyline will continue even further as we go down into later seasons. So, yeah, there's a lot of themes going on there. I went through them quickly, but how do you feel it dealt with all those themes? I think yeah, one of the biggest things which all of these themes kind of tie into is, is, is legacy. Maybe not all of them, but if you look at how the characters, especially Sam and Diane as well to a point... They all want to be remembered beyond... Their mortal life. Beyond their mortal life. And they want to be remembered for more than spending all their life in bars. And I think you have characters like Cliff who come in and exaggerate the life they lead to feel good. And Norm himself downplays the rest of his life to make this one seem great in terms of his life in the bar. And it's the episode The Spy Who Came In For, The Cold One, which kind of encapsulates this idea of... Uh, having a legacy, telling your story. And that's one of the things which Sam highlights as his best benefit of working in a bar is hearing stories. And I think that's what the whole series is about. It's these people coming in off the street, anyone can come in, and there's a story that how these stories deal with these different themes is really, really interesting. Certainly. Give, throw a theme at me and I'll talk about it. Throw a theme at you. Yeah. Like... Like some kind of theme roulette. Uh, let's talk about mental health. If we look at the, the mental health, uh, 
is explored in this, especially in the last two episodes, we see Sam's mental state and he's feeling really underappreciated, invisible, he says. You tie that back through to episodes like Endless Slumper and you realise that he's trying to be noticed and he wants to be remembered and immortalised in people's minds and that's why in One for the Books he wants to be in that book. He wants to be acknowledged as being... Uh, intelligent, And that's one of the things which I think really upsets him is that constantly he's being told he's not. And that's potentially one of the reasons why he does have an inferiority complex with his brother. Some of the most poignant episodes of this are Sam explaining to Diane why she should work at Cheers. Mm-hmm. And although Sam, as you've said, doesn't think he's the most intelligent man, he is a astute mm-hmm. observer of human nature. And Diane says this to him. She says it's a shame such an astute observer is stuck behind a bar. And he breaks it down exactly not only why she should work at Cheers, but why really is the only choice for her. What makes you think that I would ever work in a place like this? Simple, really. You can't go back to the professor for work. I need a waitress. You need a job. You like the people here. You think that they like you. (laughs) And the phrase, magnificent, Pagan beast has never left your mind. That, I felt, was not only important for the series, but quite poignant for Diane's character development. It set up how she was in somewhat of a helpless situation. And what you said about Endless Slumper, some speech about how he got an imprint of a bottle cap in his palm. Mm. It gave a depth to Sam we hadn't seen before. Mm. It's powerful stuff. Now, the most poignant thing, which I think really put... Cheers on the map Mm. and was really of its time and made people pay attention was when Sam put his foot down against Norm in The Boys in the Bar. Mm. And do you remember what he said? I think he said, what kind of bar do you want this to be? And he said, not the kind of bar where I have to throw someone up. Yeah, it's just a wonderful quote. Mm. And he progressed the writers and Sam's character. uh, All the cast and crew Mm. of this episode made the boys in the bar progress the show to a new level, Mm. made people pay attention, made people realise this is a show worth watching, this is a show which is having an impact on Mm. culture. I've got a list of favourite episodes. What are your... Mine, uh, I think um, one which stands out to me is The Spy Coming for a Cold One. And it's because it's it's an episode that kind of deals a lot about storytelling but it also puts Diane in a position where she's not right and she thinks that the best thing to do is call someone out for telling a story and really you have to kind of let people um, enjoy the stories they tell um, and that's kind of a really nice one I think because it's it's Diane understanding the dynamics of a bar a bit more. Listen, in this bar everybody gets to be the hero and what's the harm? And it kind of feeds back into the boys at the bar. It's a place where people are allowed to be what they want to be. So I thought that was a nice episode and that, that was up there in the list for me. My, my third favourite was, was Coach's Daughter. Mm. I felt it was one which really showed Coach and it was episode five. Yeah. And it was really early in. So it had been going for less than two months at this point. It hit emotions of the character which was essentially comic relief, really. Mm. Coach was seen as a bumbling fool for the early episodes. In this one, it gave him a seriousness. Scott had uh, some real emotions in it. 
which at that point you know you're not going to be in for completely easy time with Cheers. There's going to be things which are heartfelt and maybe difficult at times. I think I've kind of put together a sort of trilogy of coaches' development over the series. And I think uh, in, in Sam's Women episode two, it introduces him, as you said, as like the kind of bumbling fool. He's looking for Gus, even though mm. Gus doesn't work there. And he's trying to help someone out, but quite non-understanding of what's actually going on. And then Coach's daughter was sort of the, the middle part of his development, where you've already seen that he's a bit unsure and not dim-witted, but a bit dim-witted about life. Um, and Coach's daughter, you get his heart. And it was the first scene in the back room of him and his daughter having that very intimate conversation. And then kind of my final sum-up of his development over the series is pick a con, any con, where you go, you, you've seen Coach fall for things throughout the series, and this time he's foul for a con and lost a grand. And throughout the episode, you think it's just getting worse and worse. And ultimately, he's the best con man in the episode because he works with Harry. And it shows he was the individual who was smarter than the anyone mastermind, else. mastermind, yeah. I mean, not like a, an evil villain revealing, a, pulling a mask off and actually he knew what was going on the whole time. But he was in on it. Yeah. And at the end of that episode, he's pretending to cry until he's laughing out loud. And I just think his development across the series has been really sort of bookmarked by those three points. Yeah, I definitely agree. I've also got a list of character development episodes, but for Diane, Mm. because she's the new character in the bar. She's the one who's come in from this different background, this different culture. And throughout the series, her character's adjusted to that. Now, the first one is the one which started it all. It's Give Me a Ring Sometime. The one where you can tell she's not from around these parts. You can tell she's completely different to the locals in the bar. She, you know, complains when they're talking about the sweatiest movie ever made. This is not how she imagined her life going. By the time it gets to Let Me Count the Ways, that's faced head on how the bar doesn't support her. And how in her time of need, when she is feeling emotional because of the loss of her cat Elizabeth, they do come to support her. You know, Sam particularly empathises with her and he starts crying as well. I think that middle point, it shows there is a place for her. She's still feeling that she's not entirely welcome, but it's growing. By the time we get to someone single, someone blue, she's become so comfortable around the people in the bar that she asks Sam to marry her. Of course, it's a temporary marriage and they're quite open about this. She feels that she has become so accustomed to the people around the bar that she can ask this favour and she feels she has the upper hand in asking this favour. And I think that's an interesting character development. Her personality has stayed fairly consistent, but she's figured out how to interact with the people in the bar. She's learned how to get the upper hand over Sam in certain situations. For me, it's an interesting character development for Logic, but as a character study, it works really well. And in addition to that as well, if you if you look at episodes like Father Knows Last, where she's been able to also understand how to work with Carla as well. And in that episode, Carla's tricking Marshall into thinking that he's the dad of her child. And through Babooms and telling the story of the telltale heart to Carla, she's actually able to um, engage Carla in a way that Carla's able to do the right thing in the end. So yeah, it's, it's been Dan's journey of understanding how people work within BioBio. So it's very interesting seeing how all these episodes tie together and the character development of all of the characters is intertwined. Now it's not just the main characters in this show. There's, There's been some real good... Real good guests. I've got some honourable mentions here. Yeah, go for it. 
We've got Julia Duffy as Rebecca Prout in Any Friend of Diane's. Now, I think she's an honourable mention because she auditioned for the role of Diane. And she's the one who said... Would you object to joining me in my hotel room for an afternoon of wild animal passion? It's such a great line. Seeing how she was one of Diane's friends and could have been Diane, I think she's notable for that alone. Fred Dreyer as Dave Richards in Sam at Eleven. Now, Fred Dreyer, again, auditioned for the role of Sam and is a football player who's now become an actor in his own right. Louis Tiant, as himself, a baseball player, in now pitching Sam Malone, and top honourable mention for me is a Tip O'Neill, as himself in No Contest. Getting in a political voice in the first season I think is impressive. What are your favourite guest actors? I think some of the quirkier characters like Mishka, Mishka. Um, who I thought was great um, with his tapping his beat not trying to lose his place in his symphony down the road but people like Richard Hill who played Tibor Sletkovic 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 who played Tibor and <laughs> we, we talked about his role before where Richard Hill himself has actually done quite a lot he's, a, he's an author he's yeah. an author yeah and his role was kind of reduced down just to advert slogans yeah. I thought that was a really interesting thing to do in terms of writing for the show casting for the show obviously we've got to mention Harry Anderson what a guy I think stand out in the series oh he's uh, wonderful I was very pleased to see him come back and pick a gun th- I'm pretty sure his appearances in this led to Night Court yeah they saw him and thought give this guy his own show well deserved I think one of the, the best moments one of the episodes one of the cold openings they set up that he has a back door to the yeah. to the bar uh, Sam passes him off and says no we don't but, um, <laughs> shut up the fact that without actually drawing too much attention to it the fact he uses it yeah. in Pick a Con Any Con I thought was just a really nice way of tying that in yeah I, I agree Harry for me is number one mm. guest other favourite guests are Ellis Rabb as Eric Finch yeah. if that is his real name uh, in The Sparrow Came In For A Cold One just his delivery for me is sublime. We have an interesting saying in my business. Giving your heart to a Neapolitan girl is like forgetting to burn your code book. Oops. Blast. <laughs> now I've bloody well done it. There's a double act which I think works wonderful together in Someone Single, Someone Blue. And it's Glynis Johns as Helen Chambers and her chauffeur... Boggs, played by Duncan Ross. Helen comes up with some scathing one-liners. I won't be poor, I'll be rich or dead. Boggs, with his... He's got a really dry demeanour, but just the way he delivers it is... I've been embezzling from your family for close to a quarter of a century. (laughs) To me, they work so well together, and and that's Diane's family. So this this is the mail. Special Mail. mail. Yeah, we've got some parcels as well. Well, I'll open them up, James. What's inside? Some awards, John. We've got awards. Yeah. Not for us. Not for us. No, no. We're for... We're going to be giving some awards out. Yeah. For some uh, categories across the series. The best thing Coach gets wrong. <laughs> we've, uh, we've got two nominees and our winner. Do we? Uh, one, the cold opening with his apron, where he's going back and forth, trying to uh, see if a table was ready upstairs. Then uh, Seven Bells. Seven when, Bells. When uh, Coach is tricked into closing early for Seven Bells by Norm. It's not great on Norm's behalf, but the fact that Coach, Coach believed it, it, it shows an, a charm in, in Coach, which uh, can't be rivaled. A, a naive charm, yeah. A naivety, yeah. The best thing Coach got wrong... Well, he got conned out of eight grand, didn't he? So <laughs> I don't think you can top that. 
I have an award here called Part of the Furniture, and this award is been given for Best Recurring Barfly, who is in main cast. Sadly, uh, Cliff was discounted from this because he was essentially part of the main cast. The nominees we have here are Jack, Jack Knight, and Paul, played by Paul Vaughan. There's a winning moment which secures it, and it's where Paul starts a fight with Cliff about the USPS. Where Paul states is a FedEx man. The award's got to go to Paul for that, for starting such a... Well deserved. <laughs> well done, Paul. We've got best Norm entrance. Yeah. What's up, Norm? Do you remember this one? Yeah, my nipples, it's freezing outside. Another beer, Norm? Nah, I'll probably just drink it. And then we've got the, the final, the winner. What's the story, Norm? Thirsty guy walks into a bar, you finish it. Good. He's a witty man, is Norm. There you go. I've got one here. Yeah. The greatest. The greatest. It's for people who won all the fighting and cheers, th- you know, through the best punch. Yeah. Now there's... So, uh, I, someone, I have a feeling who should someone, be on here. Someone came in. Someone came in and gave, you know, they fought a good fight. They gave one punch in a fight club style. They were asked to punch Carla straight across the face and, well, they did. And it got them a job. But we've got to be honest here. They've been consistently on form. They've been packing all the punches throughout. No one beats the Italian battalion, <laughs> Carla Tortelli. This is my last award I'll be giving up. It's quite an honourable award. It's for uh, Best Director. <laughs> <laughs> this one is uh, to, to James Burroughs. Is it? Uh, that's all. <laughs> Hands down winner. Now, this one is uh, On the House. It's for the best drink order. And we got some we got some good ones in there. We got a carafe of house whiskey, five litres of Bloody Mary, two boilermakers, wild turkey and bud. But there is a standout one. Now I think you know what it is. Uh, but it's leap into an open grave from truce or consequences. It could it not only works as a drink, it works as fuel as well. And remember, you wanna keep the glass moving. Keep the also. glass moving or you burn a hole in the ceiling. <laughs> Do you have any trivia, John? Yeah, I've got a question for you, James. Okay. We were aware that Cheers did very well in, in the Emmy Awards, but how many primetime Emmy Awards did Cheers get in 1983 for the first series? Four. Five? Oh. Do you know what any of them were? Uh, best title sequence. Best episode, Give Me a Ring Sometime. Best writing. Best writing in a comedy series for Give Me a Ring Sometime. Best direction. James Burroughs? Yes, he did. <laughs> James Burroughs did win it. Outstanding director for a comedy series. Best actress, Shelley Long. You did well there, James. How many episodes of the first season does Harry appear in? Three. Yep. Do you know what they are? Um, Sam at 11. Sam at 11. Obviously, uh, Pick a Con, Any Con. Correct. And I believe he's in an episode just before Pick a Con, Any Con. Yes, slightly um, earlier episode. I can't remember the name. He's only in the cold open. Yeah. It's where they establish that he uh, knows the back door. Yeah. It's, it's with the pool table. It is. It's uh, the boys in the bar. Boys in the bar. They did great at the uh, the Emmys, but they didn't get everything they were nominated for. What did they lose out to? That's my question to you. <laughs> yeah. What I will do is I'll make it slightly easier. There were two episodes that were nominated for Outstanding Writing, which didn't win. Yes. The other one that they'd lost... You'll have to do a blind guess. Okay. Endless slumper, let me count the ways. No and no. Really? Mm. Coach's daughter? 
No, coach's daughter, do you remember they wanted to do it, but they weren't allowed to. Yeah. Um, the boys in the bar? Yes. <laughs> this one, I wouldn't have expected it. Diane's Perfect Date. Really? Was nominated. The other thing that they uh, lost out on, which I think is criminal, they didn't get best theme song. <sighs> who got best theme song? I don't know who got it instead, but I shouldn't have got it. MASH, maybe? Maybe, but it was nominated for an outstanding achievement in music and lyrics award, but did not win. It's a shame for Corey Portnoy, isn't it? When developing uh, the sitcom, it wasn't always a bar. Do you know where, where, alternatively, it may have been set? Was it a hotel? It was a hotel. I think I've heard this. I think, I think I've heard it was originally based on, premise-wise, Faulty Towers. Mm, they really were big fans of Faulty Towers and wanted to develop something similar in America. No. And it went from a hotel to a bar in a hotel to a bar. Yeah, because I've heard they realised all the scenes were taking place in a bar. Mm. And I assume they realised this. They went, well, we can make something original without it being a remake. And that might get better attention. I assume that's what happened. I don't know. Seemed logical. Calm down, Spock. (laughs) It's certainly logical. Which cast member was given the role first? Was it Rhea Pillman? It was Rhea Pillman as Carla. I thought a connection to Taxi might have... Yeah. Push that. Exactly. It was uh, Rhea Perlman, coach, then Ted and Shelley, then Norm and Cliff. Well, they both auditioned for a one-word role. Yeah. And to ask for a beer at the end of the just, first episode. Just beer. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, good old John Ratzenberger managed to convince them that they should write a trivia gig. This is the end of our season one review. We've gone through a lot. It's been a wild ride and we're looking forward to jumping into season two. It's been it's been a good ride. We've learned a lot about the characters, we've learned a lot about the themes, we've given some awards, we've reflected on how far we've come. All that's left to say is, what's what's the drink gonna be, John? Whatever it is. I know what we can say is cheers. We'll see you in season two. Thank you for listening to Where Nobody Knows Your Name. <laughs> <laughs>